Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Yeah, before before Muhammad left this earth, there were Jews living next to him. There were Christians living next to him, right? Yeah. yeah. And there were so many Muslim converted, right? But still there were Jews, Christians and others. Muhammad said, I've done my part. And uh, I know who is going to follow Islam, who is going to follow Christianity, whoever is following uh, Moses, if they do it right, that's their responsibility. But my job is done. Last August, in episode 27, Faithful Frontiers, I talked with Daria Little, a Catholic apologist who described her path from Islam to Christ. It was an excellent conversation with a wise woman, and it was a delight to me. A few listeners objected that it was not a fair representation of Islam, the religion she had left to become a Catholic Christian. So I thought it would be a good idea to have an interfaith dialogue with a practicing Muslim. My friend, Munir Sheikh. Since Christians and Muslims together constitute half of the people in the world, and we have good reason to make common cause. So what follows is a discussion where I ask a lot of questions. Indeed, there's a lot of things we have in common, and there are some things that my guest says today that are obviously contrary to Christian doctrine. But today, I don't push back on them, and that's not the goal. This is not a debate. I'm just asking questions. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics about religion and culture. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format, in relationship and dialogue and back and forth, may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, I invite you to please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Munir Sheikh is a Sunni Muslim born and raised in Bangladesh, where his father was a lawyer at the Supreme Court of that nation. He graduated from the University of Dhaka with a distinction in accountancy and was offered and accepted a position at the university's faculty, which led him to taking a dual master's program at Northeastern University in Boston. He worked in finance for the last 20 years, and he's been a management consultant at some very important Wall Street banks. He met his wife, also a Bangladeshi American who is a civil engineer with a PhD from the University of Oklahoma who works in New York City. And the couple have two sons, age six and a half and three and a half. Now, when Munir was in Boston, he had two American roommates, John and Dan, both of them Catholics. And they have been close friends for 20 years. And when those fellows organized a Catholic dad's group that met by Zoom during the pandemic, I ended up joining that same group through a mutual friend. And that's how I met Munir, We are all dads, we all love God, and we're trying to do a good job out here on the mortal plane. And I've enjoyed talking with him over the last year or two years, and I'd like to talk with him today about Islam, about his recent pilgrimage to Mecca, about what Muslims believe about Jesus, whom they call the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, and Isa alayhi wasalam. Christians and Muslims together constitute half the world's population. 
And I hope that we can walk arm in arm with our older brothers, the Jews, in shared belief, in shared purpose, in communion, in the secular and sometimes nihilistic modern world that we inhabit together. So welcome, Munir. Aklan was Aklan, and salam alaikum. Thanks, Chris, for the opportunity. Uh, it's been a great opportunity. This is the first time I'm doing it, uh, but definitely look forward to it. And I think, uh, yeah, I should give you guys some information, my experience, and definitely it's a good platform. And I'm glad that uh, you're doing this. It's helping probably a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm being helped uh, for inputs uh, in the Zoom meetings uh, that, I, that I attend to. But obviously, uh, I enjoy a lot the friendships. And thank you, brother, for this yeah. opportunity as well. And Perfect. I'm well, I'll start. I have a joke that I wanted to share. It comes from a, a, a famous um, English comedian, Emo Phillips. And he has a joke where two men are, one man is walking on a bridge late at night, and he sees a man who wants to jump. And he says, don't jump. And the jumper says... I'm going to jump. Nobody loves me. The, the guy says, God loves you. And he says, oh, you believe in God? Are you a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a Buddhist? I'm a Christian. Me too. Are you a Catholic or Protestant? A Protestant. Me too. What kind? A Baptist. Me too. A Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern. Me too. Great Lakes or East? East. Me too. And so it goes on until they get finally to the question, do you subscribe to the Baptist Conference of 1879 or 1912? And the fellow says, 1879. And the walker says, oh, I believe in the Conference of 1912. I hope you die, you heretic, um, at leaping from the bridge, which illustrates how silly our divisions are, we humans, uh, and they need not exist. And I feel that way about the great uh, Abrahamic monotheists. We have two commandments right? Uh, love God and love your neighbor. And from my three years living in Muslim countries, I have found a lot of people who love God and love their neighbors. And I feel Jews, Christians, and I think other monotheists, I think Sikhs, for example, in Punjab and other places are monotheists who do really good work and care for the poor and, and love one another. And so if we can find a way to walk together into the future, um, that's my goal. That's, that's a good joke and yeah. very practical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Relevant, well, obviously. So tell us a bit about yourself, Munir, your life, your upbringing, your faith, how uh, and how you fell in with those guys uh, at the Catholic Dads Group um, that we talk to every month. So basically, to start out with uh, my background, I would say that uh, I've been living in the U.S. for the last almost 24 years. I came in 1999 and as a student joined the program. And I was quite late joining the program just because the delay in getting the visa processed, probably a couple of days before the program started. And at that very moment, Dan arrived and he was looking at me. And I was like, yeah, I'm from Bangladesh. I just joined the program. So why are you late? Dan's uh, first question was like, <laughs> you're like me too. <laughs> and Dan said, I'm from Connecticut. But I couldn't make up my mind when I'm going to start, but then finally decided I'll start. Okay, So that's the point that I uh, got to know my friends, especially Dan and John, because we were sharing an apartment. So the life started in the U.S., but uh, going back uh, to my birth and uh, upbringing, which is basically in 70s, obviously, I was born in Bangladesh, and my parents 
are well-educated, I would say. Uh, my father was a practicing lawyer, but most of the practicing lawyers, they had their uh, offices, or we used to call it as chambers, right? Mm-hmm. The chambers outside the house. But in my father's case, uh, my father's chamber was within the house. So I would have my father always in front of me, and he didn't have a scheduled uh, work uh, pattern. It's more of like whenever he wanted to, and uh, basically it would always start in the evening. Okay. So I grew up seeing my dad having quite a bit of freedom, and our house was full of books. That's the second thing. Mm-hmm. First is freedom. Second is uh, uh, books. So from wall to wall, we had books of all types. And there, there was a Bible, copy of the Bible. Okay. Hmm. And my dad used to uh, read that sometimes. And sometimes he would refer that to folks who are non-Muslims. But my dad always had a philosophy that uh, monotheistic philosophy. And he was not very practicing Muslim. So my whole environment was very open and candid and more of like very uh, non-religious type at the very beginning because the dad wasn't very religious. While in my mom's case, was she was very practicing, mm-hmm. extremely practicing because my mother's side, they're extremely uh, ritualistic. Okay, instead of philosophical, they were more ritualists. Okay, my dad was more philosophical. So there'll be uh, always discussions around the house that who is following and who is not following. And I grew up in an environment, I had the choice, right? And my dad never forced me or my other family members, say for example, never forced me to be religious, right? Mm -hmm. But we had in our house, we grew up as Sunni, you know, Mm -hmm. in Bangladesh, majorities are Sunnis and minorities are uh, either uh, Hindus Mm -hmm. and we have a small percentage of Catholics and we have a small percentage of non uh, Sunnis, which is like Shiites, right? Oh, Very wow. small percentage. Yeah. yeah. So that's extraordinary because much... uh, we, like, I think of Shia as only living in Iran and in Syria and maybe part of Lebanon or something like that. But uh, so are these um, expatriates from Iran coming for business or is it uh, in people from Bangladesh who became Shia because that appealed to them? Mm, it's a myth because uh, the Indo-Pak subcontinent, right? Uh-huh. Starting uh, from the Mughal emperors, right? Oh. They were from from Uzbekistan, right? Oh, and they came, and then the Iranians started coming and doing business in Indo-subcontinent. Okay. Okay. And and then uh, basically uh, they settled across. Um, I mean, uh, they had cross marriages and all. And there are Shiites out there in Bangladesh, but they're very small in number and mm-hmm. they live in peacefully and uh, in a good environment out there. No friction mm-hmm. with us in Sunni communities. Even my dad used to go by mistake because he was not a very ritualistic guy. He ended up sometimes taking me to a Shia mosque. Oh, wow. And people would criticize, did you know that they're Shiites? <laughs> and my dad would say, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So uh, the difference, I'll come to that point. But my dad is more of a philosophical guy, and he was extremely, extremely, extremely good in uh, English literature and um, Shakespearean literature. Uh, I mean, uh, Byron's and everything. Everything was there in our house at that time. Okay. And he would, his passion was reading and his uh, philosophical discussions really moved him much. So uh, he would have plenty of people in front of him, either his clients or friends, and would have 16, 17 rounds of tea because once <laughs> a new grade comes in, yes. then okay, you got to have a cup of tea. And then with him, rest of the folks would have another round. So people would get tired of drinking tea and my father would have a little bit of work, discussions, and then subsequently move into political discussions or religious discussions, mm -hmm. right? So right. I would see that that was my regular uh, environment. And then I would do my studies or I would do my other activities at, in the evening, or uh, I have a sister who would go somewhere. somewhere. But my, my environment was quite open, unlike traditional Muslim family, okay? We're not a traditional Muslim family. So from that upbringing, uh, slowly my dad with age uh, turned a little different, uh, very religious, but he was a seriously strong believer of God, okay? Mm -hmm. And Islam in particular, but he was not ritualistic, right? So he would have arguments. And then I grew up with that kind of sentiment because he seemed to be a very knowledgeable guy. So I kind of really followed him. I wish I could be like him in English or other subjects or politics, whatever be the case, right? Mm -hmm. So, but my mother's pressure was like, oh, okay, you got to follow the rituals. You got to follow the rituals. And eventually what happened was I became more ritualists at that point, but it didn't happen uh, overnight, okay? Uh, around at the age of 16, 17, something serious happened in my life uh, and then which is basically involving uh, a love affair or I liked some girl mm -hmm. and for some reason it didn't work out. I got depressed because uh, she liked me. It's just a very personal episode for mm -hmm. me. Uh, kind of like uh, I, I, my dad said, if you want to get married at 16, I, would, I, I, I arrange everything, but just think. How are you going to support yourself, your family, and your lifestyle if you get married? Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was very emotional. I'm a very emotionally driven person, okay, mm -hmm. and very quick. But my dad is just opposite. My mom is like that, like me. So I kind of inherited some of the qualities she had. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that episode kind of really pushed me to think, who am I? Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I'm really emotional about a woman or a girl at that time. And I really want her in my life, or although I just can't have her because mm -hmm. I'm not ready. Because, you know, it's not like a Western society where you can go out and work and support yourself, right? Yeah. In Bangladesh, you have to have a proper degree, have a job. Uh, getting a job is very difficult uh, unless you're qualified and have connections, you cannot get a job. So, is there a, is there a pressure to marry young for the for the girl, or is it the sort of thing where you could just sort of have an understanding where in ten years we will be married, and in the meantime we go to university and this and that and the other thing? Yeah, I mean the way it panned out is I was really out of control at that point because 
I was really pampered by my dad. Okay, mm-hmm. dad would do anything and everything, and it would allow me to do anything and everything. And I would not listen to anyone. I was very adamant and very temperamental. Yeah, I was smart, but not very focused on studies. And dad was like, no, 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 don't worry. He's a very intelligent guy, very talented guy. You guys are all wrong. Somehow, some way, he will find his way. And mom was just opposite. Oh, no, 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 no. He's going to really destroy himself. He's not mm-hmm. focused on studies. He's not doing proper things that other kids do. Okay, this yeah. house has become a la-la land. He comes home. He watches movies. He watches songs and just everything else he does except studies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and know, I bet your sister had a different, right? Your sister was probably very yeah. serious and had high expectations. And you as the yeah. young boy could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, but the yeah. thing is, like, sister was very much uh, like aligned with my mom, uh-huh. but I was more aligned with my dad. Yeah. So I had the freedom being the eldest, and we have a very big family, joint family type, not the joint, I would say, on mom's side, mm-hmm. because I was always surrounded by my cousins, my uncles, aunts, okay, everybody. So I didn't have that kind of real pressure on me until and unless this thing happened in my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that kind of defined me because I started thinking, who am I in reality? Because I'm totally spoiled by my dad. If dad passes away right now, I have nobody to really support any of the activities that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So really I started thinking, who am I? With the freedom that I have, is it going to last? Is it a reality or am I living in a bubble? Mm-hmm. At that point, I just turned around. And I didn't continue the relationship that I had with the girl that I liked, but she was surprised too, because I was really misguided by the fact that I was influenced by the media or society, or at that age, you're just too emotional, right? Mm -hmm. And that thing really changed my life from 1988, uh, that particular year, I still remember. And I was doing really bad in studies, not focused, that kind yeah. of And how old were you in 1988? How old were you then? I was uh, probably 16. So, okay. uh, yeah, 15, 16. Yeah. So, yeah. And we had a very strict uh, examination system. So the middle school has an examination, which is called secondary school certificate. Mm-hmm. And then you have the college, uh, two years of college, which means we used to call a higher secondary school certificate, right? Okay. Here, it's called high school, right? Yeah. So those exams are national exams. Unlike US, uh, by the school uh, curriculum or something like that, that's not the case in India, or Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, anywhere in Asia, right? So mm-hmm. you have to do really well. Otherwise, you cannot find your track or go in the directions that really uh, would establish you to a path, a good path that you want it to be, correct? Mm-hmm. So that from that year, I kind of changed completely. I became very, very thoughtful and started really getting my acts together. And then my dad was very supportive. He said, yeah, I told you. And he's been saying around it, uh, the folks or the relatives, I told you this guy is going to be, be serious. He's a very funny guy, very intelligent. Yeah. Very funny, very intelligent in a sense that he's an extraordinary guy in a, in a way. Uh, he, has a, he had a sharp memory 
and he'd always read, gather knowledge. He used to love knowledge. So yeah. I, I kind of inherited some of his qualities that I love knowledge. I want to really get to know so much that I feel comfortable. Okay. Yeah. So that was the upbringing, you know. Yeah. Now that you are a father and, you know, you're the age probably that you remember your father so fondly, how do you, what do you carry forward to your, to your own sons? Uh, how do you practice together? Do you guys go to Friday prayers? I remember when I uh, lived in Egypt, you know, Sunday was a work day. We had Fridays and Saturdays off. So if I wanted to go to church, I would go after work on Sunday because that was not the weekend over there. And I imagine the reverse is true for an American Muslim. Friday, you should go to work. So how do you navigate that? How do you um, observe your your day of rest? How do you uh, observe your religion with your boys and your wife? Well, it's not a problem because according to Islamic Sharia, it never or nowhere it says that Friday has to be a holiday. Hmm. Okay. For the sake of the convenience of the folks in East, they made it as a holiday. But the, there is a major prayer, like you go on Sunday prayer, right? Mm -hmm. We have a major prayer. You can complete that and still work bef before that prayer or continue working after the prayer. Because the prayer is half an hour, at most an hour, even mm -hmm. if you spend like lavishly, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't have to really get so emotional about it that you need the whole day off for observance of that particular prayer. But it's very important that we attend, but it's not a must. So in yeah. Islam, in Islam, the religion has two, two aspects, right? Which is a must and a not must. Mm -hmm. Okay. And which are basically, uh, the practices that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, uh, sallallahu peace be upon him, yeah. uh, he did. So that is beneficial. You get added points to, if you do it, but if you don't do it, it's not, it's not bad. So Friday prayer is not a must. Remember, okay. Okay. you so, get added points. You know. Right. So but that's how it is. Today yeah. is Friday, and I can't remember from my email. Are you going to go after this, or have you already been today? Yeah, I I've been already there because there are two prayers. I uh -huh. mean, and because of the pandemic, they started uh, having two prayers: one at one fifteen, another one is two fifteen. So since I'll be attending this one, uh, this session, so I attended the first one, and it took me roughly twenty minutes. Hmm. And 10 minutes drive, 10 minutes drive back, 20 minutes, 20 minutes in the in the mosque. That's it. And who are, your, uh, yeah. Yeah. who are your co-religionists in, in, in New York? Are they people from every corner of the world? Are they, what is it like when you go? Oh, it's fairly good. I mean, uh, I don't know many of the folks around. My relatives go around uh, my neighborhood. I have my cousins. They usually go, but they have different preferences like some go to a different mosque i go to a different one okay mm -hmm. and yeah. then sometimes we bump into each other but it's the brotherhood uh is uh phenomenal that once you step in it's just you're focused mm -hmm. you're you're focused on the sermons that they're giving and you complete the prayer and it's a quick prayer of two raka two raka meaning it takes only Anywhere between five minutes to ten minutes max. Say, mm -hmm. max. 
Okay, so two raka prayer. Before that two raka, you can pray. We call it nafal. Nafal meaning uh, additional, and we have sunnats. Sunnat meaning another set of additionals that Prophet used to do. Mm-hmm. So people keep doing those things in between the main prayer. Okay. So you can cut down everything. You can spend just five minutes doing the prayer and get out. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. But you can listen to all that's happening around there, the sermons and the recitation of the Quran. Uh, so these are additional benefits that you to align your faith and all these types of things, right? Yeah. No, and I, you know, I lived in, um, when I lived in Egypt, and especially when I lived in Mali, if you were on the bus and you were driving across the country and it was time to pray, the bus would pull over. Everybody would get off the bus. Everybody would pray together. And if you were not a Muslim like myself, you just go stand off to the side. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, everybody gets back on the bus. And so one thing I really admire about Islam is the public communal brotherhood of all Muslims. Doesn't matter you know, if you were a, a, a poor man pulling a bicycle rickshaw or a rich man who is a doctor or a lawyer, you know, you're all brothers. Is that, I imagine where you're a, in a minority in New York City, you, do you get that feeling or is that not possible? Absolutely. That's the same feeling we have here in every mosque across the globe that we don't differentiate anyone and it's true for all Abrahamic faiths, be it from Moses or Noah or Jesus or Muhammad. Mm-hmm. We don't differentiate whoever is basically uh, into a prayer. Even there are pictures that Saudi king he, or, or it was a UAE king standing next to a Bangladeshi labor mm-hmm. okay, who gets paid $100 a month is standing next to a Bangladeshi labor uh, in the mosque or in Saudi Arabia. I, I, I saw that picture somewhere. So wow. look the yeah. brotherhood. Because he cannot be moved out in the back row, go in the back of the uh, line, because you, that's the exclusive line for the uh, kings or mm-hmm. uh, his, his followers or the inner circle, right? Mm-hmm. No, he cannot do that because... In that case, it would be a big sin if you differentiate. So uh, the concept of uh, human rights came back in those old days when uh, Hazrat, Hazrat, we use the term uh, for special people, Bilal. Bilal was a slave and Prophet uh, basically uh, bought him and gave him freedom or um, if I'm not confusing the story, then Bilal used to have such a good voice. Bilal's uh, uh, call for prayer was so unique and recitations Mm -hmm. were so unique that Prophet used to really uh, tell him that uh, you have to give uh, the call to the prayer and he was given special status Mm -hmm. as Bilal. So uh, 1400 years ago, the slavery was abolished by Prophet Muhammad because Bilal was a black guy and he suffered so much at the hands of his owner and still he kept on pronouncing that my Lord is one and I'm his creation, but I would not be subject to any other uh, person's uh, ownership. 
Okay. So yeah. that kind of thing is very common in Islam. So that is prevalent. Goes without saying. The, the person who is standing next to you, you facilitate. I mean, you don't really push anyone out or any, any, do anything in most. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. That's really forbidden. And uh, one thing is very important is you have to be very clean whenever you are entering the mosque or performing the prayers. Clean in the sense that we have to do ablution. Yeah. So you have to you have to do uh, cleaning of your feet, face, hands. Okay. Yeah. And then you go to. But okay, so could you explain a bit about the slavery piece? Because I I totally agree with what you're saying that every even the lowest slave has dignity and um, value in the eyes of God. And you know, you are whether you're a king or you're a slave, you're all you're all brothers before the Creator. Even though here on Earth you are consigned to a different station, somebody might be on the highest, somebody might be the lowest. But I think there was slavery certainly in the Ottoman Empire, certainly in the Mughal Empire, this whole time. I just think. I just think that you had you couldn't treat your um, slaves with abject cruelty without it being uh, a sin, right? I mean, he, certainly Christians, you know how say, uh, Paul says there are no, there is no Greek or Jew, slave or free, man or woman. You are all one in in Christ. Meaning, there's a brotherhood, there's a dignity that everybody has, even though you know slavery existed for centuries and centuries after this. Point when Islam came into the Arab territory, right? Mm -hmm. It was the darkest age of all mankind. Remember that part that no one was as bad as Arabs were. Okay. The pagans, the pagan Arabs. Yeah. The yeah. pagans were so bad, and slavery reached to a level that it was just unthinkable. And at that point, I think. Uh, I don't remember the details of it, but Prophet really fought quite hard against it. Mm -hmm. And slowly it was uh, removed from the society very quickly with the justification that a new religion has come in. And that religion doesn't uh, differentiate between humans mm -hmm. because everybody is created equally in the eye of God. So the difference between Muhammad and Isa, uh, Jesus, and Moses, or Noah, David, Solomon, Imran, uh, uh, everybody, right? Mm -hmm. This is the culmination of all these prophets into Muhammad. And Muhammad said, I am the closest to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And you should know that. And he said that Jesus would be buried next to me. So uh, Jesus is very close to uh, Prophet Muhammad, but yeah. people misunderstand this. All Abrahamic faiths are so interrelated, and they have the relationship as step brothers. And Muhammad said, "I was listening to one of the lectures of uh, uh, Sheikh Omar Sulaiman. He said he mentioned that uh, uh, all the prophets are like step brothers, and yeah. Isa would be buried next to me. Can you imagine?" Yeah, he'd be buried in that ground, in that ground that I took the picture, and it would be there. So let's summarize this. Okay, I I listened to the two um, talks or two sermons or two lectures you sent me. One is from uh, Mufti Menk, and one is from Sheikh um, 
Omar Soleiman, um, and I'll put them both in the notes. So anyone who's listening to us now can go down and click and, and hear this, those same sources, both about how Muslims think about Jesus. And I think you touched on a lot of those points. One, they believe that Jesus w- was born of the Virgin Mary. Two, they believe that Jesus will come again at the end of time. Three, they believe in uh, Jesus's Mary, many miracles, um, healing the sick, raising the dead. Um, the differences come in. They do not believe that Jesus is the son of God or that there is a holy trinity. There's only one God, the creator, and Jesus is a, a prophet, a very high prophet. You know, all the prophets are are equal. Muhammad is in perhaps the first among equals since he happens to be the final prophet. And then Jesus is the final prophet before Muhammad. So when he returns, there's a special place for him uh, in next to next to Muhammad there. Um, so those are the big differences. And uh, two, that one thing I found interesting in, in these talks is that Jesus refers to the one who's going to come after him, uh, which exists in Christianity. But we think of that as the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, as a new as a new age and a new way that God talks to people. Uh, but these Muslim scholars said, no, clearly he's talking about um, the next prophet who's going to come come after him. And I think one of the most surprising things is that, uh, yes, Muslims believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but not in the death, that there was a substitution on the cross. The people who observed the crucifixion were confused. And one version says that Judas was substituted for Jesus in in in, a, in sort of like a... Um, a confusing trick. And in the other one, I, I don't know if that's what everybody believes, but that's one thing that one of the speakers... So so there's a lot of similarity and there's also a lot of difference. And it just, to me, it's remarkable to hear, you know, li- like just a slightly uh, but significantly different version of events. And also that in the seventh century, sixth century Arabia, I would have thought it was kind of the end of the world that they didn't, you know, that the pagans living in the desert didn't know all this uh, Jewish and Christian tradition, but they clearly did, right? Unless it's only revealed to the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, through the angel Gabriel, and it wasn't something that other people had heard about. Do you have a sense of that? Um, do you, what, what am I missing? Did, uh, yeah. Few, few, few other things uh, yeah. I need to just uh, uh, plug in. Yeah. Most importantly... Uh, Mariam is very important, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Mary, Virgin Mary, uh, never had a husband. That's also a difference between Christian faiths and us. Okay, uh-huh. and uh, Mariam's mother, Hani Binte Putwa or something, the wife uh, of Imran, actually was very pious. You know, Prophet Imran. So the historical background is so strong that God gifted uh, Jesus uh, to be born uh, in the womb of uh, Mary without a father. And it was a pride for God to show after Adam and Eve, God didn't show such a big miracle. Remember that thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus was given to Mary just because she was the greatest woman of all times, during her times, of course, mm-hmm. and also other times, that she was so pious that God gifted such a miracle to her. Okay. And Christians, I don't know how much they know about the lineage of Mariam to her mom and to the grandfather, which is Imran, and also the relationship with uh, Zachariah. 
Okay, because Zakaria was uh, basically looking after Mariam, and Mariam uh, always was blessed with miracles that was uh, unseen, unheard of, and unbelievable miracles that God uh, showed with uh, uh, Bibi Mariam. Okay, and mm -hmm. then when Jesus was born, do you guys know that Jesus didn't even cry? Didn't even cry when he was born because if he cried, the sound would go to others and they would stone her. They might cause harm to Mary. That's why God showed the miracle that the baby was born without crying and the baby spoke. I don't know how far Christians know about all these details yeah. that we have on the side of it. Uh, Quran and the details that we got from Prophet statements. Okay. Yes. And these these are described by Prophet Muhammad that this these are the things happened. So, so these are so th yeah. this um, right and then very young baby Jesus long before a normal child could speak says that he is the servant oh. of God. Right exactly. uh, or, or something in this way, um, and, and this is from from the Quran from the. Revelation to Muhammad, peace be upon him, by the angel Gabriel, right? Jibril. Is that is that is that the source? Yeah. Listen. Yeah. I also angels. let me just ask you to say how how because I if if I have this right and you please correct me, Muhammad himself did not write right. He was not a, he was not a, a a man of letters, but his followers would write down what he said, and then after they arranged this into the Quran. Um, not in order of, of revelation, but it, sort of in the length of the verses in the surat from the longest to the shortest. And so it's a very different kind of book than something like the, the Hebrew or Christian Bible, which is kind of a story in order. Yeah, let me yeah. get yes. to that part because okay. uh, the miracle is uh, Prophet Muhammad, when he was born, he was the greatest creation of all. Okay, that's our Islamic faith. Okay, mm -hmm. and he came as the last and culmination of all the prophecies into, into version of Quran. And it was given to him who was orphan, didn't have knowledge of education, didn't go to school, didn't know how to write or how to read. Okay. And then uh, there are four angels which are very close to God. Angel Jibril is the closest. Gabriel, as you call it, okay? Mm -hmm. And he used to be the person who brought uh, the sermons or uh, the commandments, right? Mm -hmm. From God, right? Yeah. And then there is uh, Azrael. Azrael is the angel of death, okay? And there is Mikael. Mikael is the uh, angel of last day of judgment. He's just waiting for the last day of judgment, okay? And there's a fourth one. I'm forgetting the name of it. Is it but Raphael? Is it Raphael? Raphael. I'm forgetting, but I'll, I'll get to that. But there are four angels which are among the billions of angels we don't even know, right? Yeah. There are four which are very close to uh, God. Remember, God spoke with Moses directly. Okay? Mm -hmm. God gave birth yes. to Jesus. Okay? That we share. Yes. But God, that we share. Yeah. But God met Muhammad. So there is a difference, okay? God met Muhammad. That's the most interesting thing. So let's say that is Muhammad went yeah. to heaven from from Al Quds yes. from Jerusalem. Yes, and then exactly. he returned. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. Because uh, but Jesus is called the soul of God. No human being cannot hurt Jesus. And if he is given a birth from a virgin virgin woman, how can he be killed? Because he's taken alive up there. And Prophet Muhammad confirmed that. Mm -hmm. And he said, I met up with all the most important. He had the prayer before uh, ascending to heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And Burak was the person. Uh, uh, Burak was the animal that carried him up to Al-Aqsa, that is Palestinian, right? Mm -hmm. From mm -hmm. from from that point, he went up straight to seventh heaven, and all the way up to uh, the last point. What, up to that point, Jibril said, "I cannot go any farther. I don't have permission to go farther." And from that uh, level to up, uh, when he met the God. Yeah. That we don't know exactly how he went there, but physically it happened. And he described the whole situation in exact manner. And people were really shocked that yeah. this is exactly what happened. Okay. And uh, he gave narration of how Ibrahim looked like, how uh, Isa, uh, Zijus looked like, what conversation he had, how Moses talked to him. And Moses was the person most intelligent person to guide Muhammad, to guide Muhammad during that journey. Then Muhammad go back and talk to Allah because Allah actually said you have to pray 50 times a day initially. And he gave two, two sentences of Quran directly to him during that journey. That's a gift. And if we recite that thing, we, we, we solve many problems. Mm -hmm. So it's a mystical book. Quran itself is a mystery. And how it was preserved. That is the responsibility of God because God knew that original Torah is destroyed. Original Jabur, the four books were issued. So first was Jabur that was issued on uh, Dawood. We call it David, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. David, that was destroyed. Then came Torah for Moses. That was destroyed, but part of it was restored. And still we have the similarities because uh, Jews have some original things right mm -hmm. then we have the Injil but Injil but remember Moses inherited commandments that was written by God himself scribed on 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 stones mm -hmm. by God mm -hmm. yeah. that was the commandment right Injil yes. was script right we don't know who wrote it how it was destroyed and uh, how it was recovered, we don't even know. Is so, Injil the same uh, thing that uh, the Christians call the Gospels in the New Testament, or is this no, a different no. document that has been lost and then the Christians wrote something that's, a couple centuries later? Yeah, okay. that's what mis uh, Muslims believe, that the Injil is not uh, what Christians follow. Christians mm -hmm. follow basically the Im imaginary uh, description of what has happened uh, during the time of Jesus yeah. and how he basically practiced uh, the, the monotheistic uh, beliefs back then. But there is no authoritative source really stamping that this is exactly what has happened, yeah. right? Like in Quran, then Allah took the responsibility and said, I will preserve Quran. And everywhere you go, if you go to Ethiopia, if you go to Sudan, if you go to Indonesia, if you go to uh, Brazil, right? Yeah. You wouldn't find a different Quran. 
It's a miracle. Yeah, and it's never it's, translated, right? We all know that the Quran can only be read in Arabic and anything else is an approximation just to give meaning, but yes. it's never authoritative. It is never, never exactly. If you know Arabic, you can read, memorize, because Quran is the highest read, highest, this is the book, the most read book, right? Yeah. This yeah. is the book, most published book, okay? printed book, published book. And it is the book that is memorized the most because once you memorize it, it with the age and situations and maturity, you understand the logical uh, flow of Quran. It's very ornamental and very practical. So first 10 years of Prophet Muhammad's life, he received the chapters in a way that established the fact that God is one and Muhammad is the last messenger and there were messengers like Isa before him, Moses and others. And this is what has happened. And it came to this conclusion. Next, the first 13 years and next 10 years, because it came in uh, 20, total 23 years, right? Mm -hmm. And Jibril used to bring it and Muhammad uh, had no power other than the fact that Jibril said, just recite what I'm telling you. And Muhammad would recite. God knows how he remembered to the letter, to the dot, and he would say that to his followers and they will write up. And the writing is so unique that it never got distorted. Okay, and that's how chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter, it got piled up and it got completed. Mm -hmm. So the total verses are there, 6,666. Okay. But yeah. the relationship is first 13 years, it came as uh, as a proof that God is one. It's called Tawheed. Okay. And next 10 years, it is about uh, different situations that unfolded around prophet. What is the law? What is the democracy? What is the governance? What people should do? and all these types of uh, activities. Then it became a complete book in terms of the start of the universe and the end of the universe. Because Muslims think, I, I should have told you this, Muslims don't usually think living in this world is very important, but living after this world is very important. Okay. Yeah. So this is the transitional I think that's, phase. I think that too. <laughs> That's another that's, thing. In that's also in common, yes. Yeah. So that's pretty much where we come in and we have the similarity. And yeah. uh, Jesus is so important that I just can emphasize enough that the Moses and Jesus' role was so important back then. And um, Prophet Muhammad directly met them during the night of journey. It is called Isratul Miraj. And the looks of uh, Jesus, he described how he looks and he described how Moses looks. Okay, what is the similarity between his face or his looks with other prophets look, right? Mm -hmm. he, he resembles mostly with Prophet Ibrahim. Hmm. Okay, so uh, Jesus looked most like Palestinian type face. Okay, hmm. but Moses looked a uh, little darker, little reddish. So he, of course, he's from Egypt. He yeah. looked like an Egyptian, uh, a little brighter Egyptian and all. Okay, but he was yeah. heavy. And, he, you know, uh, yeah. when Moses got the prophecy, he requested God that, okay, I can become a prophet, but you have to keep 
prophet my brother as well. So did you know his brother Harun was a prophet too? Mm-hmm. So all yeah. these things are there in Islam. Yeah. All the historical background, the mystical background, everything is there. So we find Christians believing and practicing, right? Yeah. The way it could be more really into the fact with the historical background, with the rituals, and basically Islam gave the rule what should be done, what could be done, and what we should avoid. Yeah. So I want... One difference here is how God interacts with people here on earth, because for the Christians, like Jesus to be the word of God, uh, I know that in Islam, it just means that God spoke Jesus into creation as a creature. But for Christians, Jesus is the word of God. He is God in the creative mode from the beginning, from the very beginning of the universe. And then the second difference is, what, when we think of what Jesus says, one is coming after me, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, which is the way that God is with us right now. Or we, you know, I know that Muslims say Allah is as close to you as your jugular vein, right? It's as close to you as you are. And we think of that relationship as the Holy Spirit, that God is as close to you as, say, the air you breathe, literally the, the Spirit. So there, there I see a big significant difference, at least in the way we think about God's relationship with humans. But there is one tremendous similarity that I never considered until you were speaking just now, which is the absolute importance of human beings in the eternal and cosmological world. The fact that um, the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, can go to heaven from Jerusalem and transcend to the level above where even the archangel Gabriel may go is 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 fantastic it's it's so it's wonderful and miraculous i think the parallel for christians is how mary is crowned queen of heaven and earth um and for christians i should say especially for catholics i'm not sure the protestants subscribe to this doctrine but for us we when we often when i have um spoken with uh um exorcists for example people who fight the devil and the demons in the name of God here on earth, they often say there's nothing more offensive to the devil than the fact that this woman, this this lowly woman, this nobody could become higher than all, all the angels. And that just both of those illustrate God's great regard and love for us, for us, the creatures. And I can also feel like where Christians probably say the wrong thing about Muslims. Oh, they must be Mohammedans. Oh, they must worship Muhammad. That's nothing is further from the truth. Nobody worships Muhammad. He's just the great, he's just the great guide and the great messenger and the final authority. And I think we often hear that from Protestants, Catholics, that, oh, they must worship Mary. But that's not true at all. She's just the she's just the perfect woman who is a guide. And Islam teaches this too. She's a guide not just for women, but a guide for men and women, an example for everybody to follow and especially close to God's heart, partly because of her humility. And can you imagine the importance of Mary that a chapter is dedicated to her because of her purity, and God was so happy with her. And uh, Prophet Imran was so such a big prophet. Mm-hmm. We don't even know much about him. But uh, Mary is the do- uh, uh, granddaughter of Prophet Imran. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, she was so pure. Imran's wife was so pure 
that she promised God that uh, if a child is, child is born, then I will dedicate the child to your name and uh, uh, would be would be really sacrificing the child. I'm not sacrificing, but guide her to uh, dedicating, uh, consecrating, dedicating, right? Yeah, and consecrating, right? But that's how it is. The historical background. Yeah, it's all in there, all in there, and we. I, I forgot to mention that a thing. I'm just uh, got in a different direction about Moses. Moses guided Prophet Muhammad. Muhammad was the most intelligent during cross-century history. Because if you read the book of Michael H. Hart, he ranked hundred most influential pe people in the history, and he ranked Muhammad the first. Okay. Then comes, uh, uh, let me see, uh, then comes Isaac Newton, and third is Jesus Christ, and fourth is Buddha, <laughs> and fifth is Confucius, yeah. right? And if you read these books, I mean, if you read Muhammad, then you'd see that how much emphasis he puts on other religion. While Jews think that we are wrong, we think the Jews are wrong, that's not the case. Yeah. Nobody is wrong because they were assigned, each prophet was assigned for a particular purpose. Yeah. And they finished their purpose and they left. But except Jesus, he's still alive. He's yeah. still alive. And, he, you know, so. Yeah, and I, I the, only one, the only one who's going to tell us if you're right or wrong is God. And so our duty is to believe what we believe, do our best to follow, and then pray a lot. And I, I am sure anyone who does that will be guided to the to the truth and whether God wants everyone to be the same or whether God would like different kind of religions to follow him in different ways that I don't know. And that is, that's a mystery, but I do know that there are plenty of Muslims and plenty of Jews and plenty of um, people of other religions who live beautiful, pious, happy, and even holy lives. So why do I have to persuade them when God can do it for himself after we all go exactly. to see him? Right. I don't think any of us, exactly. Would, would cling to our earthly ideas in the face of God because we are, at least if we are humble and we put God first, right? I mean, who goes to hell? People who are proud, people who refuse to apologize and bend their knees. That's, I, I think that's that's how I understand it. Yeah, before, before Muhammad left this earth, there were Jews living next to him. There were Christians living next to him. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there were so many Muslim converted. Right. But still there were Jews, Christians and others. Muhammad said, I've done my part and uh, I know who is going to follow Islam, who is going to follow Christianity, whoever is following uh, Moses. If they do it right, that's their responsibility. But my job is done here. Right. Yeah. So God gave these books for a particular purpose. Right. Yeah. And we can, you know, just overrule this, right? Fight over this for no reason. And going back, my friendship with these guys, especially Dan and John, was so deep because they saw me 24 years back, still they loved me as much, and it just grew. The love grew because we matured over time. And Dan, I was in a deep crisis at that point. Dan said, okay, why don't you join our faith group? Because you would have more insights into each individual, how they're leading their lives, in terms of faith, marriage, and all these types of things. I said, why not? Because he knows how open I am, how accepting I am. I'm not a fundamentalist. Fundamentalist in a sense that uh, we have fundamental book, right? But mm -hmm. fundamentalists are closed-minded people, right? I'm not a closed-minded people, right? 
Yeah. I'm very open, very open to knowledge, very open to discussions, all sorts of things, because I have a lot to learn. And the last thing I can say that if you rank me as a Muslim between one to 10, I rank myself as one. Because I don't know much about Islam as yet. But the yeah. more I'm practicing, the more I'm learning. I don't know much about Christianity. The more I'm interacting with you guys, I'm learning. Yeah. So absolutely right. We are we are all we are all learning. Um, and I I just think in history, as as much as we often focus on religious conflict, there are certainly many examples of religious um, religious brotherhood, and especially you know recently in countries where there's freedom of religion guaranteed, but also. Um, the famous Saladin, the who triumphed in the Crusades, finally uh, in the in the Middle Ages, like he was so generous with his uh, Christian rivals, who were you know they were having a war over who's going to have the Holy Land, but he met them from a place of chivalry and respect, uh, and and just mutual regard for believers, and likewise even in the Ottoman Empire, I read a lot of pilgrimage narratives from the medieval and early modern periods of people visiting um, Jerusalem after it had been captured by Muslim rulers, they were always permitted in. It's probably true that they had to pay extra taxes and things like that. And um, Christians and Jews living in the Ottoman Empire had to pay extra taxes and probably could not go to certain government positions. But it was generous in a way that sometimes, um, for example, the kingdoms of Spain or France, which had expelled Muslims and expelled uh, Jews from their borders were not that generous. And a great exception is Poland-Lithuania, which uh, had freedom of religion even in the early modern period. So there are places in the world where people got along just fine for a long period of time. Um, and I, I think that's the bigger story. And we often don't say it because, you know, we always, we like to focus on bad news, not good news. Because politicization of religion, that's the bottom line or... That's been going on before, like uh, the prophets started coming in. Say, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, set of belief drives set of activities, right? So, how to control those activities, uh, or uh, really uh, using religion as a tool? It's going on for centuries, ages, right? But that has to be really looked at in a different manner than what the reality is, the spirituality of the religion, that what attracts um, uh, the brotherhood or, uh, uh, I mean, becoming friends or becoming close to each other, right? I, I like Dan or John, like my brothers, right? Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter whether uh, they're Catholics or Christians or Muslims, non-Muslim. No, that's not the case. Because, because individual uh, identity, religious identity, uh, professional identity, these are different things. But at the end of the day, you keep those aside. Yeah. At the end of the day, you like the person who he is. I really like Dan being so religious because I've seen him uh, for the last 24 years. Uh, John has been like that, uh, religious uh, from the day, day one or since I met him, right? Yeah. So I know I like their activities, not, not particularly the religion, but definitely religion. Mm guided them to be a better person. Mm -hmm. So why not? Amen. So I like Catholicism as well. Yeah. I like whoever follows good Christianity, I mean, uh, real religion, good religion. They must be good persons at heart, you know. Yeah.
That's what it is. Spirituality. It's all about spirituality, man. Yeah. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So you went to Mecca earlier uh, last month. Would you tell us about this pilgrimage? Okay. So the, this is what it is. It's it's a, it, it, it it's not a male, main pilgrimage. It's a secondary pilgrimage. The main pilgrimage happens after uh, after Ramadan. And two and a half months after Ramadan, the main pilgrimage happens, and that happens during the month of Ashura. Okay, so I didn't go uh, during that time because it's a much bigger commitment. I went on a smaller one. So this is a quick trip that I went there for seven days, and I performed two little Hajj. Mm -hmm. So two little Hajj meeting, a uh, small pilgrimage that I can do circling Baba seven times and then uh, running between Safa and Marwa, two uh, uh, mountains that uh, symbolically uh, represents the running or uh, uh, difficult situations that uh, wife of Prophet Ibrahim faced. So the moment... I was planning on it. I, th I think I you should say time. that the, the Kaaba is a large cube shrouded in black. That was, uh, tradition tells us it was built by Abraham. It's in the center of the Grand Mosque of Mecca. It is the point right. of where the, everybody prays, right? When people pray five times a right. day facing Mecca, they're, pray, they're facing the Kaaba. And when you get to the right. Kaaba, everyone's praying in a circle because that's, that's the center. And I bet if people have seen pictures of it, they just didn't realize what it was. And inside, because I believe, Kaaba, is, a, is it a meteorite that is inside that Abraham built around? What is what is in the Kaaba? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kaaba is the place that was a place of worship for, for the pagans. Okay. okay. So a lot of a lot of statues were there, but God instructed Abraham to build something for him. And uh, Abraham built it. And then over time, pagans took over, statues were there. But symbolically, Baba is situated in the center of the earth, and uh, from our Muslim perspective, it's it's uh, it, it, it's common that we know that exactly another Kaaba is there on the seventh heaven, just mm -hmm. just above this in the heaven. Okay, so okay. God wanted to really symbolize the worship through a house, and that's built by Abraham. Okay, and uh, his footsteps are there. Uh, and we uh, we actually uh, uh, carved the footstep and kept it intact, the size of his foot, not the exact the step on a mud or something like that. That was really uh, preserved was time, and it's not a very very big cubicle uh, cube uh, type structure, mm -hmm. but more or less uh, sort of big. But amount of people coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, to perform the pilgrimage is enormous. Yes. Okay. And it is so unique. And we have to wear two pieces of clothes, which is unstitched. Because hmm. in Islam, the basic tenet is you are nobody. Yeah. God has made you what you are. And you die and leave being nobody mm -hmm. unless you really admit the fact that you have served the purpose of God. Okay, if I have to say it in my own way. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we wear a two piece of clothes, nothing else unstitched, but usually we use the belt so that during uh, the rush of people 
the looser coat that uh, hangs uh, uh, under the waist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But once you wear it, you are in a different mode completely. Because at that moment, I started crying. That uh, that's it. I yeah. mean, uh, I mean, I don't want anything else in this world. Yeah. Just I want forgiveness. The purpose of the circling around the Kaaba that is to be a ritual of the pagans too, ah. but they did it in a different way. Okay, but when uh, Muhammad took over and Islam uh, was uh, started or Quran came in, he abolished all the statues. And actually, statues fell the day Muhammad was born. There was a huge just in the world, and statues fell on their face down. Okay, inside Kaaba. Okay, there was a huge light across mm -hmm. uh, the Arab Peninsula, the whole world, that Muhammad is born. Okay, and you know Muhammad was orph orphan, and he was given into adoption to his uh, milk mother, which is Halima. Okay, and it's a tragic story. I mean, if you read Muhammad, uh, if you wanna really know Islam, you have to read Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So Muhammad's every step is listed there. So Kaaba itself is situated. Uh, like almost uh, one quarter of a mile uh, uh, away from the birthplace of Prophet Muhammad, the picture I sent you, right? Mm -hmm. But he actually was buried 400 miles or 500 miles away or 400 kilometers away in Madeira so that people don't worship him, okay? Because mm -hmm. he is not, he is so important, but he is not more important than the cube structure we have, mm -hmm. okay? It's just a symbolic representation that okay you circle and we recite uh the verses of quran in the exact manner and people cry for forgiveness and there are two corners very important in kaaba structure one is called hazar aswad which is actually that has a stone that actually came from heaven and uh, prophet ibrahim put that stone it was the instruction of god inside the wall of kaaba and it's called the uh, stone that if you touch it and ask for forgiveness, Allah will consider you uh, for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So that is the stone people want to touch and people get crazy about it. And there are <laughs> lots of fights to oh, get no. to touch that. Yeah. I couldn't do that because people fainted almost in front of my eyes. Yeah. So you can do symbolically raise your hand as if you're touching the Hazar Aswad. That's the white stone. Yeah. It turned from white to black because it absorbed the sins of uh, all the people visiting Kaaba, right? right? And there is another corner, which is called Yemeni corner. Yemeni corner meaning it is facing Yemen, but that is actually very much intact since the beginning of the structure of, uh, beginning of the construction of Kaaba, mm -hmm. okay? These two corners are very important. I was lucky to touch and kiss the Yemeni corner, but yeah. I couldn't go to Hajar Aswad because it was just, so crowded and people of all ages right yeah young old i mean you you'd be surprised to see the momentum the dedication uh people shows uh when they're in kaaba yeah. the brotherhood the fellow feelings people are eating and they will not eat alone they will distribute nobody if you're eating uh, say a packet of uh, dates people will come and pick the dates without even asking questions <laughs> like can i pick a date no 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 yeah. no it's your right yeah. that if you're eating somebody else if he's hungry he doesn't need to say anything before he picks up a date yeah so that kind of brotherhood i've seen in uh, saudi arabia and kaaba yeah. that 
it is the right of the people that they can demand anything you have in case if they're in trouble, if they're hungry, they can you can share anything mm -hmm. and everything. People, even people are passing foods, free foods. Sure. So the brotherhood I've seen is just unquestionable because all, all we are Muslims, a black person, mm -hmm. a guy from Indonesia, a guy from Burma, a Myanmar, a guy from Australia, doesn't matter yeah. how he looks, okay? Yeah, I was having dates and people came and took dates and said, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No question, can I? No, not questions like that. Can I have a date from you? Yeah. No. There's a pick and so much food. So the question was, would they take donations? And the guy said, are you crazy? Then they have to create a country like Saudi, uh, Switzerland. I said, why? Because <laughs> people would give so much money to yeah. really feel free because we have a word called Sadhguy Zariya. Sadhguy Zariya means that if you donate now, this is the only beneficial thing that will carry to your eternal emancipation, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing goes with you. Your prayers, Sadhguy Zariya. And third thing is, if you have good offspring hmm. that can pray for you. So three things are very important, uh, Prophet said. So your own prayers and your own practice, your sadhka zariya, meaning the things you do for others, yeah. okay, in the name of religion. And thirdly, your office. If your son prays or your daughter prays for you, that is accepted uh, to yeah. God. Okay. So the guy said, oh, no, that, that, that we need a country like Switzerland because people would be so emotionally giving so much money. Okay. Yeah. And so the government doesn't want that. They want to make sure that they are serving the purpose of Islam. Okay. And they would do everything to making sure everybody's comfortable. Yeah. So which I saw. That's another point of uh, of uh, commonality is the prayers of intercession. We have that too. I don't know that other people have that, but we totally believe that also that all our prayers are going back and back and forth between this world and the next world. That was a good discussion, Chris. Yeah, yeah uh, wonderful. Very good, very good. But Would it you... doesn't end. You know, you, ha you have the temptation to say so many things. Right. Uh, but if it makes sense or not, but uh, from our Islamic perspective, I try to cover as much as I can, a lot to discuss, no, a lot great. to really reflect on, but it's great discussing all it's these It's a things. great pleasure, and I thank you so much for doing it, and um, I, I enjoyed it immensely. Would you close us with a prayer or a blessing for our listeners and their families and our world? Okay. Okay, let's do it. I will do it in uh, in uh, Arabic. Okay. Okay. And the, I'll say the meaning as well. Right. Uh, okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God. It's a sermon saying that God uh, gives us, uh, forgive us uh, in this world, the activities that we have performed and for the life hereafter. We should be forgiven for the things that uh, actually is going to obstruct us going into heaven. Okay, so life in heaven is huge. So thank you, Chris, and everybody listening to this. I pray for the eternity. I pray for the mankind in this world and everybody in distress or in sickness or anywhere uh, suffering. I pray for them, and I really hope everybody gets the blessings they deserve. Amen. Thank you. Amina.
Chris Odinitz and Munir Sheikh recorded this conversation, episode 51 of Almost Good Catholics, on Friday, March 10, 2023. It was the feast day of St. John Ogilvy, a Scottish martyr hanged in Glasgow on that day in 1615. Queen Elizabeth's priest catchers hunted him down and tortured him to reveal the names of other Catholics, but he gave them none. Your threats cheer me, said he. I do not mind them any more than the cackling of geese. And when asked if he feared to die, he replied, no more than you fear to dine, as in to have dinner. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. See them at www.gscoasterband.com. Our image, the logo of the dog, is from a stained glass window in Spain at the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos and is taken with the permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website at www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Hodinitz. Thank you so much for listening. Please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I answer every single email, and I look forward to talking to you soon.